There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's never a static target. It's never a stationary target. And mm. it's sort of like you're always chasing this thing of writing perfection. And, it's, and I know I'm never going to get there, but it doesn't stop me trying. And I think hopefully it means that with each book, sort of like my writing improves or I've or if a book fails at least I've learned something from it so nothing is ever wasted you can't be too despondent about feeling that something isn't quite working you just got to keep going hello and welcome to the 100th episode of the one of you podcast it's a behind the scenes look at the opportunities available in the creative and entertainment industries so you can get to where you want to be in 30 minutes or less I am of course your host Imriel Morgan Shout out to Andy Ayim for dropping gems on gems in last week's episode. It's a must listen for entrepreneurs in the making. I am so pumped to introduce you to my 100th episode guest. Mallory Blackman OVE is a best-selling young adult and children's author. Mallory holds over 15 awards for her writing. She was the Children's Laureate from 2013 to 2015. And Mallory's most notable work is the critically acclaimed Noughts and Crosses book series, which was recently adapted for TV by the BBC. Mallory has written over 70 books, including Pig Heart Boy. She's written for Biker Grove and co-written on Doctor Who and much more. So why Mallory? Mallory's books helped me understand my place in the world and gave me the opportunity to have conversations about race in a way I was unable to do before reading her books. I couldn't think of anyone more fitting for this episode and I am so honoured by her generosity to sit and record with me and share what she's learned in her 30 odd years of writing with us today. In today's episode, Mallory shares her daily routine, what gets her creative juices flowing and how she assesses what good writing is. We explore the value of traditional publishing for new writers of colour and she explains the differences she experienced writing for TV. We also discuss how she handled both the positive and negative responses to the BBC adaptation of Noughts and Crosses. Mallory also reveals her goals for the next 10 years. As it's the 100th episode, we wanted to leave all the good stuff in, so it's slightly over 30 minutes, but I think you'll appreciate it. Let's get into it. Who did you want to be before you became who you are today and why? Who did I want to be? Gosh, um, I wanted to be someone who was enjoyed what they were doing as a, for a living. I was enjoying life. I just wanted to be someone who was happy in myself, basically. And if that involved books, so much the better. I mean, I used to be in computing and I, I loved that for a while, but then that, that sort of faded and I wanted to do something more creative. I guess I just wanted to be happy in myself, basically, happy in my own skin. And that's who I wanted to be. But it, it, it took a while to get there. I feel very lucky and very blessed each morning I wake up that I'm doing a job I love. I'm, I've got friends and family who I love and they, you know, they seem to put up with me. So, you know, so I, I cannot complain. It sounds delightful. And how long did it take for you to kind of find that fulfillment, do you think? Was it when you started writing? 
that was a major part of it. But I think it's always a work in progress, isn't it? Trying to just be content with who you are and, and kind of work out who you are, I guess. I, I mean, at least it is for me, sort of work in progress. But um, I think when I started writing, that was one of the major things that sort of clicked into place in my head that I knew I had found the thing I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I've always loved kind of making up stories and poems and the fact that now I kind of can do it and get paid for it, it's just an added bonus because I just I just love my job. And I think the fact that growing up and, and there's such a dearth of books that featured black children like me and black characters and so on. And so I got to the stage where I thought, rather than whinging about it, let me see if I can do something about it. And I just feel really fortunate that I've been lucky enough to kind of write stories for children and teens mainly that that kind of do that, where I've been able to kind of put myself in all kinds of situations and places and make up characters and create my own worlds. And I just couldn't think of anything I'd rather be doing. Yeah, you've written a lot of books, Mary. <laughs> like a lot. <laughs> I'm curious to know, in your day to day, are you writing every day? Are you always, always, always writing? Or are there times that you kind of in the year where you take time off how does that work day to day as a full-time writer I mean I try and write every day but sometimes I don't manage it sometimes I'm just too busy doing other things and answering emails writing articles doing other stuff that people have asked me to do so I, I kind of I'm writing their stuff not my stuff or sometimes you know if you're busy doing events and book tours and so forth I'm just too tired to go to write then so it took me a while to stop beating myself up about not writing every day but I try and write most days and I try and write something. I'm, I, my creative time tends to be in the morning. I'm definitely a morning person. So I, Who are you? Yeah, oh, God, yes. So, <laughs> so I definitely try and write all the new stuff and do all my creative activities in the morning. And then if, all the editing and reworking and stuff I do in the afternoons and the evenings because I just find I just work better creatively in the morning. Yeah, I think that's probably true for me, but I think I'm still a night owl. So all of my idea generation happens in the evenings. And yeah, like really late into the night, I'm like really like buzzing with ideas and things. But actually executing on things tends to be better in the morning, but I'm not very good at waking up. <laughs> That's really interesting because I mean, my thing is basically if I'm stuck on something and it's sort of like afternoon or evening, I always just think, well, I sleep on it, sleep on it, because invariably I sort it out in the morning. I wake up with an answer or I kind of, or I wake up and I think, oh, that's the way to solve my problem or whatever. So I, I think I'm just definitely better in the morning. Oh, yeah, fair enough. What time do you wake up? Around seven-ish, which is that's not bad. It's so annoying because, um, I mean, it's years of doing the school run. So, <laughs> so I'm, <laughs> I'm used to waking up like half six, seven-ish. So, um, and even now that I don't have to, I still, my eyes pop open at seven o'clock. So, and I'm just wide awake at seven. As soon as my eyes open, I'm awake. So sort of shower, breakfast, and then put to work. And I remember when I was doing a, a writing course at the City Lit and they, um, one of the exercises she suggested was to try and get up, get up at sort of three, four o'clock in the morning what? when it's really quiet, there's no one around and it's just you and your thoughts so you can really focus on your writing. And I mean, to all the writers out there, give it a try, see if it suits you. But I tried it for one morning. I thought, oh, hell no. <laughs> so <when> yeah. I- <laughs> So it didn't work for me, but it might work for other people. Yeah, no, I'm not going to try that. Um, (laughs) I'm curious to know more about, I guess because you're writing every day, you have probably come to a point where you know when something's good. But 
are you able to make that distinction? Because I know some writers are just like constantly in a battle in their heads thinking that what they've written is terrible or not good enough. Do you still have those thoughts or feelings when you're doing your writing or are you quite confident now that you can distinguish a good bit of writing and a less than good bit? Uh, That's a really interesting question because there are days when I will read something I've written and think, oh, I like that. And then there are days when I read the same bit of writing and think, oh, my God, that's crap. (laughs) (laughs) It just varies. I think it maybe it varies with the mood you're in or whatever. But but sometimes I mean, I've been doing this for so long now, goodness me, that I kind of feel when something is working. But there are those days when I think, oh, I just spent the whole day just writing absolute rubbish. And then the next day you go back and you rework and so on. And then some days you think, I've written rubbish. And the next day you go back and think, actually, it's not that bad. I think it comes with the process, to be honest, because I think you're certainly for me, it's always about questioning myself and can I make it better? And and what can I do to make it better? And um, it's never a static target. It's never a stationary target. And it's sort of like you're always chasing this thing of writing perfection. And it's and I know I'm never going to get there, but it doesn't stop me trying. And I think hopefully it means that with each book, sort of like my writing improves or, I've, or if a book fails, at least I've learned something from it. So nothing is ever wasted. You can't be too despondent about feeling that something isn't quite working. You've just got to keep going and keep going because I think there are a lot of people out there who've got, brilliantly polished first chapters and they've never got any further because they're so busy polishing and polishing and polishing that they haven't moved forward with their stories and so my kind of mantra is just get it done get the first draft done whatever state it is get the first draft done and then you can start to hone and craft and finesse it and that's what takes the time. That's what, for me that the the first draft is the fun bit. It's the fast bit, and the reworking is where the hard graft comes in. I think when you've done it for a while, you kind of feel what's working, what isn't, what is maybe a bit pedestrian, what kind of is actually flying off the page, you know. But that says sometimes you do get it wrong, which is why editors are so invaluable, and I, I edit, a good editor is worth their weight in gold. Yeah, I really needed to hear that because I have been messing around with this draft yeah I definitely needed to hear the just get on with it (laughs) I mean I am like you I'm a a perfectionist but you have to get to the point where you know that perfection is something you're never going to achieve and and it's something to strive for but you're never going to achieve it and if you try and if you judge everything by a sort of perfect standard you're going to drive yourself crazy so what you have to do is just give it your best effort and, and, you know, go all out and really give it your best effort So until you feel, I really cannot see how I can make this any better without outside help, and then let it go. I mean, it's easier said than done. I am terrible at letting stuff go, and I, I, my editor will tell you it's kind of like practically having to prize it out of my hands. So, you know, <laughs> but so at, at some point you do have to let things go, and, I, and that's in part why once a book of mine has been published, I will read it through once in book form to see if there are any um, mistakes that have crept in or any typos or whatever, and I will never read it all the way through again, ever. Oh, wow. Because I just read it and I get so frustrated because I think, oh, I wish I could change that, and oh, how could I have done that, and whatever. And it's, just, it's <laughs> an exercise in futility. So, <laughs> Yeah, of course. <laughs> so I just think just move on, move on to the next one, and apply 
all those things that you're frustrated about, just apply them to the next one. So at some point, you, get, yeah. you kind of have to give yourself a break. So my advice to that, you is kind of just get, do your best work and get it to the stage where you feel, okay, this needs to go out into the world to get some feedback and then let it go. All right. I'm going to try it and let you know how I get on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> do, do. I definitely will. Um, I would like to know about your personal goals because as someone who's written now coming on to 71 books which is just incredible what are your goals now like what are the intentions that you're setting for yourself and your writing and what do you kind of hope to achieve going forward well I I mean I definitely I basically want to write more books I want to write more books and more varied topics I want to write books for adults I want to write tv scripts I'd like to start writing more tv scripts and get back into that again because I had such mm. a blast kind of co-writing the Doctor Who script that I did with Chris Chibnall. So it's kind of like just finishing off my book projects, taking a deep breath and then, and you know, trying other things. And so I've had an idea for a TV crime drama. So, you know, so it's kind of like, I am so lucky because I, I kind of just think, okay, I'm doing, the book I'm doing at the moment is a, sixth bit and the last in the the final one in the noughts and crosses series and then i'm going to do an autobiography and then after that i hope to do my sort of tv drama so so we'll see we'll see but i've got so many ideas and so many things i want to do that you know i think the next kind of eight nine years are taken up (laughs) (laughs) for sure you have not chosen small things Well, yeah, my, my daughter always says to me, go hard or go home. So, yeah, so, that's you true. Know, if you're going to do it, go for it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I would love to see what you come up with for TV. I think that would be absolutely amazing. What have you experienced the key differences between writing for TV and writing books? They are different styles because when I'm writing a book, it is mine until I hand it over. Until I hand it to my editor, it is all mine. My ideas, my writing, my characters, etc. When you're doing a TV script, I mean, if you're lucky enough to be commissioned to do a TV script, it's collaborative from the first day. So it's kind of you're doing an outline and you're showing it to people and then you're and the producer and possibly a director if they're on board. And then you're doing a treatment and you're showing it and you're getting feedback and then you're doing your first draft and you're showing it and getting feedback and so on and you do a number of drafts and you're getting feedback so it is very very collaborative and if that doesn't suit you as a writer then you know it's not something to do it to explore but I went to the National Film and TV School and I did an MA in script writing so I did that kind of decades ago so I kind of knew what was involved in that and I wanted to get involved in both and I used to write for Biker Grove and I used to do some, um, when WYSIWYG, one of my books was on television, I did two of the episodes each year and it ran for three years. And as I said, I got to co-write the Doctor Who episode called Rosa and I got to read all the scripts and the sort of, that was for the Noughts and Crosses series that's just finished on TV. And they sent me all the scripts and invited my comments, etc. And so um, I kind of feel like I've had, a couple of irons in a fire as far as writing books are concerned, writing novels are concerned, and if not writing scripts, kind of just reading them and giving comments and working on it that way, which also taught me a lot and continues to teach me a lot. Yeah, that's great. I guess adapting to that process is a learning curve, but then once you're in it, it can be very thrilling and it's a new experience and a new Oh, challenge. indeed. And I mean, I mean, a good way to start is just to get hold of as many 
TV and film scripts as you can and read through them and just analyze them and, and what you feel works and what doesn't and so on. And I read TV so drama scripts and, and film scripts the way I read books. And so um, I really love that. And I think it's a really good way of learning your craft. That's really good advice, actually, because they, they do tell you that in school, you know, if you want to learn how to do something, you basically look at the practice papers and you refer to the existing work to kind of get a feel for things. So that, yeah, that, that makes total sense. That's that, that's... It's like people who say to me they want to write children's books and I say, well, what children's books have you read and which authors do you like? And it's, oh, I don't read them. And I just think, well, how are you going to write it if you don't read? Yeah. So it's the same deal. If you want to write um, for TV, then read TV dramas. If you want to write film scripts, you've got to read film scripts. That is part of sort of learning your craft, really. And and then not just reading those, but then watching the dramas that are based on those scripts that you're reading and, and analysing them and thinking, well, what? OK, how does this relate back to the writing? How, what, have, what have they done here? What has the director done here? Is this working for me? Is this not working for me? And so on. And just honing your kind of your critical faculties as far as analysing dramas are concerned. That's always an ongoing thing. I guess where some people say they don't read other people's stuff, I guess they're doing it to prevent themselves from being like influenced or copying. So how do you avoid that? That's a good question because, for example, if I'm writing a sci-fi story, then I won't read any sci-fi stories. I'll read something, I'll stop read contemporary stories or historical stories or whatever. Now, I try mm-hmm. not to... When it comes to writing novels, I try not to read in the genre that I'm currently writing so that there's no unconscious kind of plagiarism or copying someone's style or whatever. But that is about reading as widely and as possible, as many different authors as possible. And there's so many good books out there that, I mean, you'll always find something to read. But I hear that because I do, I'm very careful that what I'm reading isn't too close to kind of what I'm trying to write. Yeah. Because I would never kind of copy anyone consciously, but, you know, subconsciously you might pick up someone's style or idioms they use or whatever. So I try not to do that. So I won't read in the genre that I'm writing. Yeah, of course. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss so i wanted to talk about the knots and crosses bbc adaptation because obviously you've wanted to do tv for a while and so well done because i feel like i've been hearing that knots and crosses is coming to tv for what feels like forever so i'm glad (laughs) how have you found the response because i guess now it's in the national it's national now in a way that it hasn't been with the book. I mean, the book is very, very popular. So I don't know who's missed it, to be honest. But 
Um, I always find it shocking when people are like, I haven't read Noughts and Crescent. I'm like, how? How have you missed this? But I've seen some really interesting responses to it. And I know that you've had to kind of deal with some backlash from white people getting in their feelings about the story, essentially. So how have you found dealing with that? Is this the first time you're dealing with this on this scale? Well, you're absolutely right. There's been a kind of, we've had negative and positive comments and feedback, mostly positive, I hasten to add. But the, the, the yeah. negative stuff has been kind of like I've been called anti-white and racist against white people and so on for kind of coming up with the story in the first place, and uh, which is just bizarre. It's been fascinating because, you know, the fact that people are saying to have this idea of um, white people used to be the slaves and now they're kind of second-class citizens and it's the black people are the sort of like the ruling class and this makes me racist. And I think... but. All I've done is flip things. So, you know, so you're, you're calling me a racist for just flipping stuff. I mean, so what are you saying about the society we live in now? Do you actually acknowledge then that mm. we're living in a racist society? And they won't. These are the same people who can't see it the way the reality works, but they're all over the way my kind of made up story works and my fictional story works. So, you know, so it's, that's been fascinating. And I think also you know, the, the mm. even the fact that, you know, some people have described it as a dystopian story. And again, I think, well, OK, but all I've done is flip things. So does that mean we're living in a dystopia now? And that's been fascinating where people have said, your story is dystopian. And I say, okay, so are we living in a dystopian? They say, of course not. And I think, well, okay, but how come the story is a dystopian story? See, I've never called it a dystopian story. I've always called it speculative fiction or an alternate reality story. I think some people not knowing, only knowing the premise, not knowing anything at all about the story, not having read the book, not having watched a TV drama, but up in arms about it and this is kind of oh the bbc and uh, gone you know and they've turned woke into a a pejorative term and they've you know so that um they said oh the bbc so woke and they're only doing it because they're trying to be pc and blah 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 and i you know and, I, uh-huh. and it, again it just it's one of those things where if i were an emoji it'd be the puzzled look on my face i think <laughs> that's fascinating you so you think my life and my stories to tell those is somehow me trying to be woke or trying to be politically correct. I'm not allowed to just exist or be, you know, or have my own stories to tell. There's always got to be this kind of agenda to it. That's been kind of fascinating. Um, But that said, as I said, the response has been overwhelmingly positive. And I think a number of people try to scupper the project and was kind of leaving kind of negative comments and things on like the trailer on YouTube, etc. But you know, they did hell, they did the same with Black Panther. There was so many there was this thing of people putting out I went to the cinema to see Black Panther and I got jumped by black people saying this film is not for you and showing pictures and photos. And the photos were proven to be taken from domestic violence ads and so forth. So they entirely made it up. They were just trying to scupper the project or scupper the film before it actually even hit the cinemas. Or yeah. in the cinemas, they were trying to they were trying to make out that black people were saying that it's not for white people. And it is such nonsense. And so, you know, I've looked at I looked at some of the comments and then I thought I'm not reading any more of these because it's they're just absolutely kind of poisonous. But there were, you know, comments saying that it was I was anti-white, I was racist against white people. This story shouldn't have been told. It's not true. So why are we doing this and etc. And I thought you have no problems with hobbits in Middle Earth. You have no problem. <laughs> yeah. 
with ships going off here, there, and everywhere, Star Trek and Star Wars, but you've got a problem with my story. I mean, really, take a, go, go take a seat. Go take a seat. Yes, have several. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so over the years, in most of my stories, particularly the ones for young adults, there have always been adults who have criticised them. And I kind of feel now, you know, if, I don't, I'm, if I'm not getting criticism, I haven't done my job properly. You know, but there, I can't even remember who said it, but there was someone who said, um, the purpose of art is to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. Ooh, that's good. And I kind of feel, you know, if you are really upset about my story, you need to look at why. Mm. You need to really look at what is it about this story, this premise, this concept that you find so triggering. And then kind of have a look at that and just think, okay, I, I just have a think about it. As I said, so many people were criticising it. They hadn't read the books. They hadn't even seen the TV series, but they were all up in arms about it. So I kind of thought, you need to kind of just kind of have a sit down and analyse why you are so upset. Yeah, they do. It is a good idea to flip the question back because it's not really on you to do the labour exactly. thinking. And yeah, it has been absolutely outrageous. It's I, I mean, I've seen majority positive things like you said it's been really really well received people I know have watched it who've never read the books and they're just like oh my god have you seen Knots and Crosses it's amazing and I'm like you think it's amazing on tv read the books it's like insane um (laughs) so I'm always like pushing the books I've had criticisms from black people as well saying that my portrayal of crosses isn't a correct one or you know or why have I presented crosses in that way etc and I just thought well you know, again all I've done is present two families the Hadleys and the McGregors with Callum McGregor and Sefi Hadley at the beating heart of it and it's inspired by Romeo and Juliet it's my Romeo and Juliet story that's all it is I'm not saying that all crosses are all black people behaving this way I'm saying this is the story of these two families I think what it is, is I was not interested in writing a story where black people were the victims. I think, God, there's so many stories like that, you know, and I think, and sometimes getting through gatekeepers as far as TV producers or editors, et cetera, is concerned, is quite difficult when the only stories that feature black people that they kind of recognise are the ones which are victim stories. Yeah, It's about slavery or it's about, urban gritty stories or whatever mm. i mean you know it's like i read something where dorothy crimson said she had so many problems trying to get published in the first place because she was writing sort of love stories with the thriller element as well and people were telling her that they didn't this is not the black experience the love story was not the black experience so it is this kind of thing of um you have to keep on keeping on and tell your stories and keep going and hope and trust that they will find a home and they will find an audience. Yeah, you're right. Do you think there's any value for, I guess, budding and aspiring writers? Is there any value still in going the traditional publishing route? Or, you know, should people be pushing their stories in any way they know how, whether that's self-publishing, because the tools for doing that are so easy now? What is the way forward, do you think? And has has it improved? Well, I think if you go down the traditional publishing route, Having a publishing house behind you does make a difference because they will spend money. They will pay you for your book. They yeah. will give you an advance for your book. Plus, you will get royalties. Plus, they will have. They will hopefully do some publicity and marketing. Spend some money on that to get so that people know about your book. They will publish it. They will print it. 
they will stock it. They will make sure it gets out to um, various bookshops. So all of the logistics of all of that is taken care of by a publisher. Mm -hmm. And I think a number of publishers have woken up to the fact that they are not the only game in town. Mm -hmm. You can now self-publish. Printing costs and so forth, well, before COVID-19, etc., it was within reach if you wanted to create physical books. But if, even if you only wanted to have an ebook available, yeah. there were ways of doing that. There were platforms to do that. So they've woken up to the fact that they needed to kind of broaden their horizons as such, because otherwise they'd become irrelevant. Because from people would just go elsewhere looking for books with a different voice and different things to say, etc. And so I think a number of creative organisations, not just publishing, but theatres and broadcasters, etc., have woken up to the fact that actually if you want to, let's talk pounds and pennies here. If yeah. you want to make money, then you need to kind of broaden your horizons and reach a bigger market. And I think a number of publishers were a bit too slow in waking up to the fact that if you have authors of colour, there was still a wide audience who wanted to read works from authors of colour. It's not just, say, black readers for black writers. And I think it took them a while to be convinced that white people would still want to read books by black and Asian and, you know, authors of colour. And so I think a number of publishers are actively seeking books from different voices. They really are. And unlike 10, 15 years ago where this initiative came up and then it seemed to kind of just fizzle out... I think there is a real will to make sure that this is something that they address and that mm -hmm. they embrace and that they continue to embrace it. So definitely try the publishing route. But that said, it's not the only game in town. It's not the only way to get your work out there because there's definitely the self-publishing route. Yeah, I considered both. I think traditional publishing weirdly, of course, still has its value. And I think actually there has been enough noise in the last like you say, in the last few years, for sure, that they are kind of waking up to the fact that people want different stories. People just want good stories. <laughs> they, and at the end, of, anyone can write a good story that is not the, you know, it doesn't just belong in the hands of white writers. So well, that's why I started writing for children and young adults, quite frankly, because I thought if I get grab them with a story, they won't care about the colour of the protagonist. Whereas I felt it at the time when I started, because I've been doing this 30 years now, at the time I started, I thought I could see it was much harder trying to get work published as a black author in this country if you were writing for adults and if you were writing for children. I mean, writing for, getting books published when you were writing for children was hard enough. But that's why I did so many school visits. I thought rather than trying to, um, once an editor had taken or a publishing house had taken on one of my stories, I made sure I went out and I did school visits and I was up and down the country just talking to kids about my stories and putting that work in and trying to reach them directly and engage them in what the stories I wanted to tell. Yeah, that's like such a great idea. Uh, just taking it straight to the source and kind of bypassing, yeah, just bypassing the gatekeepers in a way and making sure that it's actually in the hands of the, the people that want it. And yeah, I read Noughts and Crosses as a child, so it spread around our school like wildfire. Everyone was reading it. It's probably the most... It is the book that probably profoundly changed my life, like, in How ways. Really? Yeah, like, for sure. I think... I, I had low. I was, like, an avid reader growing up, but I think Noughts and Crosses completely just, like, blew my mind because it was the first 
book that I had read with, well, I had read, my mum was from the Caribbean and they're like very much around like talking about black history and making sure that we understood things. So in terms of, and we went to, we lived in the Caribbean. So in terms of having um, access to books with black and brown characters, I did have that, but it was the first time I had read something that covered race in a way and had conversations about race in a way that I hadn't been able to before the way it was flipped was just so clever and you'd like it was just like the small things it was all in the small details like the hairstyles the clothing the plasters like all of these really small things that you don't realize make you invisible in your wider society and you're like oh my god like I did not realize that I have just been living in this world where I wasn't seen or recognized (laughs) so it, it had a very profound impact on me and my sisters and everyone I know that's read it has said pretty much the same thing it was just a completely life changing book which I think is why thank you why so many people love it so much and um I do actually I do I guess I have a question around like because you've written so many books but I guess the Knots and Crosses series is like is what you are like known for does that ever bother you do you want people to like read your other books as much and love them as much as the Knots and Crosses series or are you just actually just supremely proud and it's everything you could have ever wanted or is there another book that you're like oh god I wish people would read this one too because this one's just as good no 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 I mean god I'm not god that how churlish would that be <laughs> yeah. no I'm I, when people say they sort of love noughts and crosses and they really like all the noughts and crosses series and so on I'm very happy about that and I mean yes I have written others and if they've read others all fine and good and if they've only read noughts and crosses well still fine and good I'm just really happy that you know, that at least one of my books has kind of resonated. So I'm mm. not sitting here and say, oh, but I've written some others. You should read those. I, I will kind of maybe suggest some others that I've written and sort of depending on what subject matter people are into. But no, if people say, I, I've only read Knots and Crosses, but I loved it or whatever, I'm going to say thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wonderful attitude. Final question actually is, what is the best advice and the worst advice you've ever received? The worst advice I ever received was write what you know, because I think it's a good starting point. But I think that's why we have imaginations. And I think as long as you do your research, if you're writing about a person or a group of people or something that you don't know, you've got to get it right. And don't assume that your way of thinking is other people's way of thinking. But I do think this write what you know can be quite limiting. But that said, I think... A lot of people have kind of um, strayed out of their lane and not put the work in to try and get Mm. it right and actually have done more harm than good. It took me a while to kind of explore other things. I thought I had to write what I knew, which was computing and so forth. So I was writing technology thrillers, et cetera, when I started writing novels. I think the best advice that I got was just write from the heart as well as the head and write what interests you and write with passion and commitment. And that's what I try and do. I do try and write from my head and from my heart. And I think it is about just, you know, if you if it interests you, then hopefully other people will kind of be interested in it too. It's like when I wrote Pick Up Boy and I kind of thought, oh God, is anyone going to want to read a story about a boy who's kind of gets a heart from a pig? And, you know, <laughs> I just found this whole subject matter really fascinating. The whole idea of xenotransplantation because there's such a shortage of human donors. And, you know, it's one of the books that has sort of done well for me. So I kind of feel that, as William Goldman said, nobody knows nothing in this business. So the thing is, if it's something that interests you, then go for it and try and make it accessible and you know, where people want to kind of, it's just a page turner. People just want to know what happens next. But go for it and don't give up. 
I think the best piece of advice I could give anybody on this is don't give up. Thank you so much, Mallory. This has been like an absolute dream. I'm still pinching myself about this. A massive thank you to Mallory for her generosity. Her advice will stick with me and I hope it resonates and sticks with you too. You can watch Noughts and Crosses on BBC iPlayer. I highly recommend reading the books first though, as they are remarkable and you can find them in all good bookstores. Visit malloryblackman.co.uk to find out what she's up to next. If you've enjoyed this episode, tell us about it by commenting on our Instagram post and using the hashtag wannabepod on Twitter. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please do leave a rating. We've pulled some amazing quotes from the episode, which you can reshare via Instagram and Twitter. For updates on Wannabe, follow Content is Queen on Twitter at Content is QN and Instagram at Content is Queen HQ. To get extended show notes listing any of the tools and resources we've talked about on this episode, visit wannabepodcast.com. This podcast is proudly a Content is Queen production. If you love this edit, it's thanks to the skills and talent of Ellie Clifford. Thank you for listening and until next time, bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.